Good morning, church family. Pray that you are all well, as we will be carrying on today in the Gospel of Mark, looking specifically this morning at Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, or at the Great Commandment, which not only is one of my favorite sections in the Gospel of Mark, but really one of my favorite sections in the Bible as a whole. And this glorious section comes to us today, church, following a number of adversaries of Jesus Christ, having approached him with questions, with the goal being to try to trap Jesus Christ. The first group of adversaries being the Sanhedrin church are members of the Jewish high court who came up to Jesus Christ at the end of Mark chapter 11 after Jesus Christ had cleansed the temple And they asked him in verse 28, by what authority are you doing these things or who gave you this authority to do them? With the trap here being to either discredit Jesus Christ if he said that he was merely doing these things based on his own accord or to seek to arrest Jesus Christ on a charge of blasphemy here if he said that God gave him the authority to do these things. To which Jesus Christ, after asking the Sanhedrin in verse 30, if the baptism of John was from heaven or from man, and the Sanhedrin eventually responding back to him by saying, we do not know. For Jesus Christ then said to the Sanhedrin, as we see in verse 33, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Only to then, church, be asked by the Pharisees and the Herodians, If it is lawful, Mark chapter 12, verse 14, to pay taxes to Caesar or not, or should we pay them, or should we not? With the trap here being to either get Jesus' followers to turn on him if he said that they should pay taxes to Caesar, or to potentially arrest Jesus Christ on a charge of insurrection here if he said that they should not pay taxes to Caesar. Therefore, Jesus Christ, knowing their hypocrisy, initially said to them in verse 15, Why put me to the test? And then as we see in verse 17, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God's the things that are God's. Only to then be asked by a group of Sadducees, church, as we see in verses 20 through 23, For there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife. And when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. With the Sadducees here, church, trying to defame and to disgrace and to disparage Jesus Christ by showcasing, at least in their minds, just how irrational and implausible and senseless Jesus' belief in the resurrection of the dead really was. Since they, the Sadducees, did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. To which Jesus Christ responded back to them, as we see in verses 24 through 27, by saying, in essence, that they, the Sadducees, don't know the scriptures, 
that they don't know the power of God, that there is no marriage as we understand it today in the resurrection, and that they, the Sadducees, then are quite wrong concerning their beliefs about the resurrection of the dead, since there is most assuredly, church, and without a shadow of a doubt, a glorious and future resurrection of the dead. And yet, the questions for Jesus Christ, for they do not stop there, since as we will see in our text today, a scribe then, church, takes his turn in asking Jesus Christ a question. However, unlike the Sanhedrin, and unlike the Pharisees and the Herodians, and unlike the Sadducees, this scribe, for he does not seem to come up to Jesus Christ with an antagonistic question here, but instead with a seemingly sincere one. Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Christian, seek to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Again, our thesis statement this morning, church, is this. Christian, seek to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And thus, at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you, as our gift to you this morning. And to turn that brand new Bible of yours to page 848, and to join us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we'll be in Mark chapter 12 this morning, church. And we'll be looking specifically at verses 28 through 34. Or John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how simple is our faith. Love God 
and love people. Father, these are things that we have been taught ever since we were children in Sunday school. Things that we have on mugs and bumper stickers. But Father, I pray that they become a reality in our lives this morning. That we as a church, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, grow in our love for you, God. That our love for you is complete and total, supreme above all else, faithful and loyal and cheerful. Father, we know as sinners that we will never love you perfectly. But Father, we pray that through the working of your Spirit and the conviction of your Spirit as we open our eyes and our ears to this text this morning, that we continue in all that we do to grow in our love for you, Father. And at the same time, we know that we cannot love God well if we do not love our neighbor well. So, Father, let this text humble us this morning. Let it grip us this morning and compel us this morning like never before to grow in our love for you, God, and our love for our neighbor. Father, I pray that you help my lisping and stammering tongue this morning to deliver your infallible and your inerrant and your sufficient and your perfect word to these dear ones that are here today so that they see you, Father, for who you are, the God of the universe who loved them first. Do this mighty work, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, Christians seek to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Point number one, Christian, seek to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Verses 28 through 30, which reads, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. So as we open here in verse 28... We see that one of the scribes, a scribe here, church, being a teacher or an expert of the Mosaic law, that he, verse 28, came up and heard them disputing with one another. And in seeing how well and how wisely Jesus Christ had answered them, seemingly referring to here about how well Jesus Christ answered the Sadducees' question about the resurrection of the dead... This scribe then, for he decides, as we go on to see in verse 28, to ask Jesus Christ a question of his own. That question being, which commandment is the most important of all? Which might not seem like a big deal, or a real weighty or substantial question to ask. However, when you consider that rabbinic tradition noted that there were 613 individual commandments in the law of God, 248 of those being positive commandments, i.e., do this, and 365 of those being negative commandments, i.e., do not do this, 
And very quickly, you can see here, church, that that question, which commandment is the most important of all, was indeed a pretty weighty and significant question. So much so, as James Edwards writes, it was actually not uncommon at all to ask regarded teachers, as this scribe does here, to declare himself, if you will, on the weights of the commandments, or to try to summarize the Torah in a nutshell. Which, as we go on to see, Jesus Christ had absolutely no problem doing. As he answered the scribe's question here in verses 29 and 30 by saying, The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Which is essentially a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 or what is otherwise known as the first part of the Shema. Shema meaning here in Hebrew. And the Shema being, in essence, Israel's most fundamental confession of faith, which begins with church here, or Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And thus when Jesus Christ says here in verse 29, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In essence, what he's saying here, as one scholar puts it, is that the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel, was the one and only God. Or as another puts it, that he, Jesus, was committed to the Jewish belief in the exclusive existence of one God who is the Lord of creation and the Lord of Israel. To which Jesus Christ then goes on to say in verse 30, again citing from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Your heart here, church, seemingly referring to your core or to the center of who you are. Your soul here, church, seemingly referring to your spirit and to your desires. Your mind here, church, seemingly referring to your thinking and to your thoughts. And your strength here, church, seemingly referring to your power, your energy, and your might. Or to think of it another way, or more practically speaking here, for we are to love the Lord our God, not partially or incompletely, not moderately or meagerly, not with limits or marginally, but instead we are to love the Lord our God, be devoted to the Lord our God, and to adore the Lord our God with and from every essence of our being. And thus in light of all that, for let me ask you all here this morning, church, For do you truly then love the Lord your God? Not do you tell others that you love God. Not do you try to give off the appearance that you love God. Not do you pretend to play the role of someone who really loves God. But instead, do you truly and sincerely and supremely love the Lord your God? In that you get excited to worship your God and take pleasure in unapologetically following the will of your God and take joy in knowing more about your God, praying to your God, telling others about your God, and even making sacrifices in your life all in order to grow in communion with your God. For is that the type of love? and devotion and adoration that you have for your God, a love that is authentic and faithful church, comprehensive and loyal church,
church, total and cheerful church, or is it a love that could be described instead as apathetic and disinterested, unenthusiastic, and maybe even that of lukewarm church? For to summarize a story by author Douglas Twitchwell, for he shared that if you ever went to Camp Fairhaven, you probably would have met Duncan. Now, Duncan is not a person, but a dog. And Duncan, he belongs to Dave, who is currently one of the directors at camp. And I've never seen a dog quite like him before, and that I've never seen a dog so devoted to his master. Because if Dave is in the camp's office, Duncan will stand right outside the office door and stare at Dave. And it doesn't matter if Dave is there for three hours, because Duncan will be content just to stare at Dave for three hours. And then Duncan will follow Dave everywhere he goes. Once, for example, Dave ended up on the opposite side of the lake from Duncan. And Duncan, he didn't even wait for Dave to come back. But instead, Duncan, he just swam all the way across the lake just to get to Dave as quickly as possible. I mean, if I were to open the door of my car and Dave were to open his, I have no doubt in my mind which vehicle Duncan would get into. I mean, even if I stood there and called Duncan by name while holding a giant bag of doggy treats, there is still absolutely no doubt in my mind that Duncan would get right into Dave's car instead of mine. For that is the kind of love and devotion Duncan has for Dave. And similarly, we as Christians should also have that same kind of love and devotion for our God. And yet how often does Satan hold out a bag of doggy treats, if you will, or temptations, and say, here, Christian, Christian, and we have no qualms getting on board with Satan. And thus we must desire then, Christian, to be so devoted to our God in all that we do, that when Satan does indeed come and try to steal our love and attention from God with the idols and the temptations of this world, that we do not even stop and consider the possibility of ever taking our eyes off God. Now, being that we as the people of God are not to love the world or the things of this world, but instead to love God and our God alone, briefly then, church, I want you to take inventory of your life right here, right now, this morning, and in all honesty, ask yourself, who or what is ruling over my heart at this time, and driving the desires of my soul at this time, and receiving the majority of my thoughts at this time, and getting the bulk of my attention, and my power, and my energy at this time? For is it the Lord God himself, or the people I want to impress? The Lord God himself are watching my favorite football team. The Lord God himself or my pursuits of a bigger house, a bigger car, or that of a bigger paycheck. And I ask you all that this morning, church, because the people of God, church, are to love the Lord their God, church, with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, church, since he and he alone is the one true God. brings us to point number two. Christians seek to love your neighbor as yourself. Christians seek to love your neighbor as yourself, verses 31 through 34. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So following Jesus Christ answering the scribe's question from verse 28, of which commandment is the most important of all, By saying in verse 29, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus Christ then, for he does not stop there, but instead goes on to offer this aforementioned scribe in verse 31, the second most important commandment, which is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Which comes to us again, church, from the Old Testament, particularly from that of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, which reads in full, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And although, as Mark Strauss points out here, the word neighbor is identified in Leviticus 19, 18 as one of your people, or that of a fellow Israelite. And furthermore, although the Jews of Jesus' day would have viewed a fellow Israelite even more narrowly than this, in the sense that they would have not included resident aliens, but only that of Jews or full proselytes or converts, in Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, Jesus Christ, for he redefines the term neighbor there in order to mean anyone with whom we are dealing with, even that of our enemies. The parable of the Good Samaritan Church being this. Behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and we saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, and when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. 
Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And thus very practically speaking here, church, our neighbor then, or those whom we have been called to love as ourself, is the Christian and the atheist church the agnostic and the Scientologist church, our friend and our enemy church, our co-worker and our boss church, the Democrat and the Republican church, the drunkard and the reviler church, the wealthy and the poor church, the person who agrees with you and even the person who disagrees with you consistently church. In short, if they are made in the image of God, then they are most assuredly then our neighbor church and we are to care for them do good to them, give grace to them, speak the truth to them, and we are to love them as we love ourselves, since in order to love our God faithfully, church, we have got to love our neighbor. To which, in hearing all this from Jesus Christ, the scribe then, for he says back to Jesus Christ in verses 32 and 33, you are right, teacher, You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And that the scribe here, church, believed that Jesus Christ was indeed correct. And that God is one, and that there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength. And that to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, to love my neighbor as myself is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. To which Jesus Christ then... When he saw that the scribe had answered wisely, for he said back to him, as we see in verse 34, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, please, please, please do not be mistaken here, church. For Jesus Christ does not say here that you are now in the kingdom of God. Nor does he say here that you are now part of the kingdom of God. Nor even does he say here that because of your wise answer that you are now a citizen in the kingdom of God. But instead, Jesus Christ, he says back to the scribe here in verse 34, that you are not far from the kingdom of God. In the sense, as Robert Stein puts it, that he, the scribe here, was in the presence of the one who brought the kingdom of God and who understood the meaning and the spirit of Jesus' teachings here and who knew the way into the kingdom of God. And yet, did the scribe here, church, love God so totally that he was willing to repent and believe in the gospel And to leave all that he had, deny himself, and to take up his cross and follow Jesus Christ? The account here does not say. Which might be intentional. And Mark's way of getting his readers to wrestle with the question, Have I become part of the kingdom of God? Since it is only by grace alone, through faith alone, in the king of the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ alone, that anyone can truly be forgiven of their sins and become part of the kingdom of God forever. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church, 
I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who was here first. And to share with you at this time, non-Christian, not just how you can get close to the kingdom of God, or near the kingdom of God, or not far from the kingdom of God, but instead I want to share with you this morning, non-Christian, how you can be saved from your sins and become part of the kingdom of God. Which again is by grace alone, through faith alone, in the king of the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ alone, who came into this world, non-Christian, as truly God and as truly man, to live and to dwell amongst us and to save us from our sins. By initially living for us the life that we could never live. And that the life that Jesus Christ lived while he lived and dwelt among us was a life, non-Christian, that was free from any kind of iniquity, free from any kind of offense, and free from any kind of transgression or evil or wickedness or sin. And thus, because of that, he, Jesus Christ, then fulfilled the law of God in its entirety, perfectly and completely non-Christian, all for the very children of God. However, merely keeping the law of God, all for the very children of God, for that was not all that the divine Son of God, Jesus Christ, accomplished while he lived and dwelt among us. And I say that because Jesus Christ also then paid the price for our sins as well, by willingly giving up his own life, by being pierced and crucified, killed and crushed on a cross at Calvary, even though he himself, non-Christian, never ever sinned. And in doing so, he, Jesus Christ then, satisfied the justice of our holy God and appeased then, non-Christian, the wrath of our holy God all toward his sinful children as well. And thus because of that, three days later then, this sinless son of God, Jesus Christ, for he didn't remain dead or buried in some grave, but instead, three days later, since sin and death had absolutely no power over him, he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, and he defeated sin, and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his perfect life, in his righteousness and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of salvation and that of eternal life. And to the Christian who was here today, for as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, I'd like to do so by encouraging you all at this time to seek to grow in your love and in your adoration and in your overall devotion to your God. But not in order, as Daniel Lakin explains, to try to get your God to love you back, Christian, But instead, because your God, Christian, 
He already loves you and most assuredly loved you first. In that your God, Christian, for he showed his love for us, Romans 5, 8, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that your God, Christian, for he so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only son for us. And that your God, Christian, because of the great love in which he loved us, Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, even when we were still dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Jesus Christ, in that in this is love, Christian. Not that we love God, but that he loved us, 1 John 4.10, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. And thus, as you hear and ponder and reflect on those aforementioned verses this morning, Christian, for I want you to see at this time what kind of love the Father has given to us, also that we could be called the children of God, 1 John 3, 1, and to be in all then of the perfect and sacrificial love that our God has for us and not to merely then be indifferent to it. For as Donald Barnhouse shared, that a mother, and one of those wonderful moments that makes mothers who they are, for she drew her two-year-old daughter close to her and said, Oh, I love you. To which the little girl then, very much occupied with the whim of the moment, drew away from her mother and simply replied back to her by saying, Yeah, I know. For tragedy occurs when someone hears the voice of God saying, as he does from Calvary, and as he does from a thousand thousand circumstances in life, my child, I love you, and is answered with an indifference that shows that his love is not truly being returned. For most of life's sadness flows from a a tragic such attitude. And yet... The windows of heaven are opened when we can learn to feel deeply that we love God because he loved us first. And thus, brother Christian, sister Christian, lovingly, let me encourage you all here this morning to seek to love your God supremely and totally and with absolutely everything you got. Because your God, Christian, despite your weaknesses and despite your wickedness and despite the fact that at one time you hated and were enemies of the Most High God, that God in love still willingly and freely and voluntarily sent his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die for your sins, to be the propitiation for your sins, to save you from your sins, and to reconcile you back, Christian, to your most holy God forever. And thus, if you are ever struggling, Christian, with the belief that loving God is costing you just too much in this life, or that being devoted to God is just hampering your lifestyle too much, or that being faithful to God is just interfering with all your professional goals too much, or that prioritizing God is really just holding you back in this world far too much, then lovingly, Christian, Look to the cross. 
where in love, God the Father sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to bear the wrath that you deserved for your sins. The holy wrath that you deserved for your greed and for your boasting, Christian. Your anger and your jealousy, Christian. Your drunkenness and your envy, Christian. Your pride of life and all the other sins that you have and that you will ever commit, Christian. All so that you could be cleansed, forgiven, and saved from your sins and brought back into communion and fellowship and harmony with your most holy God forever. And then let that perfect and sacrificial and incomprehensible love of your God, Christian, drive you and encourage you, compel you and embolden you, spur you and motivate you to seek to love your God like never before since the steadfast love of our God, Christian, Psalm 63, 3, is better than life. And thus it is my prayer that we as a church body quite simply grow in our love for you, God. Since we as the children of God are to love you, God, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And although we as sinners know that we will never be able to love you perfectly, God, help us still then to desire to grow each and every day in our love for you. And thus open our eyes, Father, to see what kind of love you have given to us. And let that understanding then of your love embolden us and drive us, encourage us, and compel us to seek to love you, God, like never before, since as your infallible and inerrant word declares, the infinite and eternal and unchangeable God of the universe perfectly loved us as sinners first and sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to be the propitiation for our sins, also that we could live eternally in and through him and in the presence of our most holy God forever, church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, grow us in our love for you, I pray. Let us be willing to seek you more frequently in prayer, to understand your character more and more as we study your word to let your word and your will transform all that we do in this life, to strangle out and to put to death all the idols that are tempting us and stealing our ultimate and complete and total and supreme love away from you, Father. Lord, squash any of those idols in our life, I pray. Lord, deepen our understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us see Like never before, let us see what kind of love the Father has given to us so that we could be called the children of God. And let the fact, Father, that you loved us first drive us and compel us to be willing to do and to give up whatever we need in order to remain faithful, in communion, in fellowship, and loving you more and more every day. Father, strengthen us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as a way to love you, Father, to love our neighbor as ourself. Amen.